You're watching Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. It's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for anyone in the financial services and wealth management industry. Learn more today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Welcome to the show. For those of you that um, are listening for the first time and, and for, for the benefit of, of Vince, this is just a conversation uh, with two guys talking about the business what's happening uh, you know what's happening in the world right now and within our within our world wealth management and um meant to be real casual and uh just pick your brain right and my audience wants to hear from someone like you that's been around for a long time what do you see what's going on what do you what are you worried about what are you not worried about and ultimately you know why would an advisor consider an affiliation with a firm like sanctuary wealth so um why don't we just jump right in and uh, for the benefit of the audience, Vince, tell us a little bit about your background, where, where you've come from, and then sort of where did Sanctuary pop up from? Yeah, listen, I grew up in the business. My, my dad was an E.F. Hutton stockbroker going all the way back to the 60s. And I bet even though it's 2023, uh, you still remember their commercials and their, and their, their motto, right? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. So that company ceased to exist back in the 80s, and, and that sticks around. So it tells you what good marketing can do. Um, but look, I grew up in the business. I, I wanted to be him. I wanted to do anything he was doing. If he would have been a firefighter, I'd have been a firefighter, right? And so I got into the business right out of college. It was some version of what is now Morgan Stanley. It was uh, Shearson, Lehman, Hutton, I think, when I started. Yeah. By the time I left four and a half years later, I had had five business cards and it was called Smith Barney. And then I moved over to Merrill. That was a move over to Merrill in 1996. All of that time, I was a financial advisor at Smith Barney, a financial advisor at Merrill for another five years, and then recruited into leadership. So 10 years as an FA and then 18 year leadership career at Merrill Lynch. Uh, the last role there was a divisional executive. And so that was a senior role. I reported into Andy Sieg, who was the head of Merrill Lynch. And then he reported into Brian Moynihan, who was the CEO of Bank of America. The six of us kind of ran the country uh, like an executive committee. It was more of a national role, uh, but we had field responsibility as well, right? So my field responsibility was Texas to Wyoming, and Phoenix to St. Louis. So that's 100 offices, 2,200 advisors, very difficult to have an impact, you know, uh, at, the, at the personal advisor level at that size. So it was a little bit more of a national role. And then of the six of us, um, two of us had been asked by the CEO of Bank of America to also be market presidents for Bank of America. So that was my background. That was my... Um, insight you know into the industry and it was kind of from that base that i started uh, discovering supported independence right because in my job unfortunately and for all my friends who are still you know in leadership at a major bank or wirehouse as i know you were at one time you know a big part of the job is kind of trying to convince unhappy advisors that they're happy right and so you know i got pretty good at that the comp plan change isn't that bad. Right. No, no, no. This is good for you. I'd gotten pretty good at that over the years. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit. But really, the reason that I was 
comfortable with it is because I didn't think they had any better option. You know, to leave Merrill and go to Morgan was not, it was neutral, right? To leave, you know, so I, I, I felt okay trying to convince them that no, 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 you actually are happy and here's why you're happy until I discovered supported independence. And the way that happened was we were going through one of our comp changes, uh, and uh, which surprise, uh, right? Yeah, which means comp cut, by the way, when you say comp change. But my boss had a slide up that was the market share of Merrill Lynch versus Schwab. And he was he was pointing out that Schwab had surpassed Merrill's market share. And that was kind of justification for this change in the comp plan. But the whole time I was just sitting there thinking, why did they surpass Merrill's market share? It's not their retail arm. It's their custody. Right. And so you start diving into that and you realize, oh, my God, they figured out a way to go independent. Right. Like I was never worried about that. You probably weren't either. I wasn't worried about my FAs going independent. I thought it was way too hard. You know, such a stretch to go from having everything provided for you to, you know, how do I figure out real estate? Where am I going to custody the assets? What's the technology like? What kind of regulatory risk am I taking? What's the you know HR payroll? Yeah, you're going to have to do everything, and it's going to and you're going to spend your whole day just dealing with that stuff and not making money for your business. And yeah, right. We yeah we we were under the spell. Yeah, well, exactly. And then I, yeah, the other rest of the spell was I was completely convinced that the investment platform would be limited. I thought there would be no uh, lending platform. I was convinced the technology had to be subpar because, you know, these big banks are spending billions on technology. How could some independent firm keep up? But then that slide was saying, no, somehow they're still going independent. You know, what is going on? And that's when I started my, you know, I would say obsession with figuring out uh, how they were doing it. And that's when I discovered supported independence. Right. So let's talk about, so now that's, that's a great, um, evolution of your career and so supported independence and you and you've used that a, a couple times more than a few times something tells me that's uh you know not by accident right um so sanctuary you know is people people see the name and, and you've had a lot of great success uh moving some really really great teams some of our clients have, have gone there and um i was with a team team the other day and talking about Talking about sanctuary and why it should be um, one of the one of the options that they should consider, right? So, talk to me about where did sanctuary sort of develop from? How did how did that come to be? And then, what makes sanctuary a supported? You're using this phrase, supported independence. So that's different than what many people think. Oh, independent, and then they hear RIA and they hear all these other things, right? Now, this new term of supported independence. So, take us through that that timeline sanctuary who is it what you're all about why is it supported independence yeah now so so supported independence you know from my perspective is just there's varying levels of companies out there who will take some of the burden off of your plate if you do want to own your own company right and 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 i think that you would agree any successful financial advisor out there is an entrepreneur it's almost by definition, they're an entrepreneur, but they've lived their whole career 
in an employee world and that doesn't gel, right? And so the industry solved that. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I was too busy drinking the Kool-Aid and serving the Kool-Aid and, you know, making the Kool-Aid sometimes to notice it. But the industry evolved, right? You know, Wachovia created Finet and Finet was this option where you could own your own company and they'll still do all these things for you, right? All those things that they were currently doing for the Wachovia advisors or now the Wells Fargo advisors, they'll still do all that for you, yet you own your business. And it didn't, I mean, it had some success, but then you had companies like Hightower and Focus and others who who really ramped it up, you know, and they made it a viable option because they offered a lot more freedom and flexibility than you would get, you know, even though you own your own business, you're part of a large bank still. And so Hightower and Focus opened that up. And so for me, once I discovered that, it became really hard for me to stand on a stage at some Ritz-Carlton somewhere with 300, you know, advisors looking at me, trying to convince them that they were happy where they were. Because now I knew, like, you could actually own this if you wanted and nobody, nobody's going to mess with your comp. You're not going to be managed to the lowest common denominator. You know, nobody's going to tell you your fee schedule. All these things that you complain about, it's solvable now that the industry has evolved. And so for me, I kind of started, I got worse and worse at convincing them that they were happy because now I knew there was an option for some of them. And uh, so I went on a pretty deep due diligence and I looked at all the companies out there who provides varying degrees of supported independence because one, I was trying to work up the courage to would I really leave the position that I was in. But number two was I would only do it if I could find the best one, right? And my problem wasn't that I couldn't find one that I liked. My problem is that I fell in love with all of them because all of these companies have solved it. All of the the spell that we were under, like I had become enlightened and I was like, oh, they could go here and they could go there and they could go. And so for me, it was a matter of trying to figure out which one was best and I couldn't land on it. I reached out to a colleague of mine and I wanted his perspective, you know, and, and, you know, I told him what I liked about different companies and I told him what I was looking for. And the two things that I was really, well, there was really kind of three things that I was looking for, right? You had you had the flavor of supported independence that was your partner um, in services, but they weren't your partner financially and they weren't your partner from a regulatory standpoint, meaning they didn't provide any transition dollars. In fact, you had to pay them, but they will get you set up, yet they will not take any regulatory liability, right? That you, You're on your own for that. And some people aren't comfortable with that. Right. And so there was there was that version. They offered a ton of freedom, flexibility and control. They took a lot off your plate, but it left you with regulatory burden and a really stressful move financially because you're walking away yeah. from all this deferred comp. Yeah. And I think people I think people underestimate the amount of regulatory burden that you you could actually have if you're trying to do it yourself and open up. Oh, your my God. RIA, you know. Yeah, because, you know, I think they view it and they say, well, I can, I'm going to hire a chief compliance officer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fine. But that person's your employee. And <laughs> right. so the SEC doesn't care who that person is. They care who you are. Right. You know, they're used to out of wirehouse, as you know, like, you know, regulator comes in, knocks on the door and they point at the compliance manager. 
Well, when you own your own RIA, they knock on the door, you point at the compliance manager, they don't care. It's you, you know? So, so that, I, I loved the model, but I was concerned that people didn't want that, and that regulatory risk. And then I thought, gosh, they're going to walk away, you know, with our target market. They're going to walk away from seven figures of deferred comp. Then they're going to have another 100, 150, 200,000 of startup costs for real estate, technology, furniture, marketing, you know, their website, all those things that comes out of their pocket. Then they have three or four months with no income, yet their lifestyle expenses continue. And now they don't only have lifestyle expenses, they have business expenses. Before their revenue was coming, they have payroll to meet, insurance, taxes, you know, uh, rent, all these things. Um, and then on top of that, some of these companies actually said, you have to pay us. And so that was, that was stressful, right? So we wanted to see if we could solve for that. And then the other side that we were trying to solve for was the uh, lack of culture and community, right? So you, there were companies out there who would solve for the financial stress. They'd say, hey, we'll, we'll actually pay you transition dollars. We'll help you with some of these startup expenses. That comes at a price. The price is freedom, flexibility, and control. You now have to do things, some things our way. You're limited to our products and our platform and our technology and all those things, but we'll take on the regulatory risk and we'll help you with the financial stress. So, so that was on one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum was the other that I described. And, and I felt like these were trade-offs, right? Like I'm giving up freedom, flexibility, and control for support, infrastructure, and platform. And so we set out to see if we could solve for those and say, can we give them both? Can we give them the freedom, flexibility, and control they crave as an entrepreneur and be actually be a business owner without them having to sacrifice the support infrastructure and platform? And we felt like we could. And then along the way, can we build a culture and community that if we get it right, they will actually do more business as a result of the culture and their clients will be better served as a result of the culture. And so we couldn't find that in the marketplace and we felt like we could build it. And so that's kind of the birth of Sanctuary. Yeah. And I can tell you that uh, from, from my experience with some of our clients, helping lift them out, right? Breakaways, whatever you want to call it, lift outs. The process, and I've told this to other people, your process and system, it's a system in organized fashion to get them where they need to go with real estate. You know, many of the reasons why advisors don't leave in particular wirehouse firms is because they're worried about the transition. They're worried about losing clients or worried about breakage and all that other whatever fancy terms you want to use, right? And I've been most impressed with your process in terms of how your team holds their hand, you know, all along the way and, and everybody's involved. It's really a team approach versus what some firms do. It's just assign you a transition person, right? Like, like Jill's your person. Like, okay, who else? Right. <laughs> right. Um, it's a level of comfort that you've been able to give them. And I think that's the reason why your the transitions that you have are so successful and, you know, and you do attract some of the best of the best. Can can I just shift gears for a second? Because one of the things that I that I find interesting about 
what you've done and you talk about bringing in the, the best of the best. And it, it is something that I think stands out with Sanctuary in the independent support, independent space is um, can you talk a little bit about your alternative platform, your ability for a sophisticated advisor with sophisticated clients to um, be taken care of on your platform? Because there's a ton of independent firms out there, right? And they talk about payouts and economics and all the other things. And then as soon as something sophisticated comes up, they sort of get a hum and a hum and a hum and a, like, you know, they start doing a dance, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, we, we in, in really in this industry, and I'm guilty too, we catch ourselves talking about margins and payouts a lot, right? And at the end of the day, what I found is the margins are about the same no matter where you go. Or if you do it on your own, you're going to probably take home somewhere between 60 and 70% after paying all your staff or paying your platform provider, whatever it may be. So that kind of becomes a little, a little less relevant. The where you go, where you can grow the most, that top line number is something that we should talk more about. And like you brought up, Alts is a great example. You know, when you work for a big bank or, or wirehouse your whole life, as, as we did, you know, you don't recognize there's opportunity floating around you all the time, all the time. But you have been trained to have your blinders on and you don't even notice it. But once you go independent, that opportunity is there. And if you have support and a partner like Sanctuary, we will help you, you know, grab that opportunity and be more relevant to your client. Alternative investments is a great example, right? So, yeah, all of us in the independent space, we have to have a solution for what I call the supermarket of AI funds that you can get at any wirehouse, right? You know, Morgan and Merrill both have it. Believe me, we have it. And so does everybody else. You can get it on the independent side. And so that part is kind of table stakes, I would say. But where I find it the most interesting is, you know, I talked about our culture and I'd love to talk more about it, but, but it is essentially... 76 for us clients. So it's 76 companies, partner firms who own their own company. They have their own brand, their own name, their own logo. Their only affiliation with each other is that they both hired Sanctuary, right? But we've created this culture where they feel like they're part of the same elite network and they compete against each other and they collaborate and they share ideas and we get them together all the time. And, in, and that camaraderie is really positive. But one of the ways we leverage that, that culture is if, if you're one of our partner firms, Frank, and you're talking to one of your clients, you know, wealthy client, and they're talking to you about some direct investment they're doing or some, you know, boutique private equity fund or private credit fund that they're getting involved in or a venture capital deal, whatever it may be. If you were at a big wirehouse or whatever, you would close your ears and say, I can't talk to you about that, right? And in the independent space, you can, right? And you can actually offer advice on that and you can actually bill for that advice. But what's really neat is, at least at Sanctuary, if you're hearing something that you get really excited about, you can say, hey, listen, I'd like to show that to my other clients. How can, I get in, how can I get involved in the selling agreement so that I can show this to other clients? Most of these funds or products, wherever you want to call them, 
they will require you to meet some sort of minimum, right? They'll say, sure, Frank, you can be part of the selling agreement, but you're going to have to commit to 25 or $50 million in order to be part of it. And you might back away. What our partner firms do is they bring it to our investment committee. We have a whole due diligence team that's focused on this one item. They'll dig into it. And look, they may come back to you and say, Frank, I know you liked it, but I don't know if you noticed this, this, and this. I don't think you should recommend that to your clients, which would be valuable, right? But usually they're going to say, hey, yeah, yeah, you're right. We like it too. It's past all of our due diligence. We, Sanctuary, will make the commitment. We'll we'll gladly take the $50 million commitment because it's not just you distributing this. We have 76 of you. And between 76 of you, we know that they'll, they'll make the minimum. So what ends up happening is, what you heard from your client that was really interesting to you is now not only available to you and your clients, it's available to the whole network's clients. And so they all benefit from that. And then you're going to benefit from something, you know, you, you're, you're going to be in Philadelphia and you're going to be uh, shown something that someone in our Miami office or our San Francisco office uncovered. So it's all these unique, small sometimes regional, you know, hard to get products and solutions and opportunities that our partner firms get because of the culture, you know, that makes them better and their clients love it. Yeah. And I think the, um, where advisors miss out and, you know, if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, oh, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff, but your clients might, right. Or, or a prospect that you've been trying to get in front of might have some interest in hearing about something hot, right? Hearing something that is special, right? And so even thinking that you have the ability to access that stuff, to have that conversation with a prospect, you know, hey, John, not sure if you're, you know, if you've heard there's something, blah, 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 whatever the pitches that you want to use, even if they say no, you've now told them that you're in that market. And to think about you when it comes to, you know, they might have a deal rolling off and they want to reinvest those dollars. They might call you. So that's the opportunity that guys need to think about. And, and I say, guys, you know, producers in general need to think about that having that platform just to talk about can be very, very valuable and start conversations. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly differentiating, right? Like, you look at, you know, you, you kind of become a cookie cutter, you know, at the at the wirehouses, even the best ones. Listen, you have the same products and services as the brand new trainee that was hired yesterday. Your fee schedule is the same. You know, like, how do you differentiate yourself? And in the independent space, it's much easier. Yeah. So let, let's on that point, let's shift a little bit. Um, let's talk about. Um, practice management, growth, right? We're talking about how to go after new clients, right? If you were, so in this marketplace, the markets are, you know, um, those of us that like we've been in, in the business a, a while, you know, I don't I don't look at last year as sort of like some down market or you know, people are sometimes talk about it. I'm like, no, that wasn't a down market. Maybe we're coming into one right now. Well, who knows? But if you're an advisor, so your advisors are coming over, right? And they're, and they're transitioned. They've done a great job. They've, they've, They've had very little breakage I mean, in success of their clients coming over. You know, it's January, February. What are you telling them they should be doing now to grow their business? If you were an advisor, you were running your own practice, what are you doing now to take your business to another level? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things that come to mind that jump out at me. One is you have to be digital, you know, and something you're great at, like digital marketing, using video. Remember, they've been so restrained for their whole careers. They've never known how to do it. They weren't allowed to do it. And so they need help with that, right? And, you know, of course, we have internal marketing people that can help them with it. But And there are third-party marketing firms if you're not a sanctuary partner firm. But we actually have that. It's funny you say that. And and, and to the audience, I didn't tell them to say that. <laughs> um, that was totally off the cuff. But we, we actually have fractional CMO services that we that we rolled out from a practice dynamics business uh, because just like you said, I have that. And so we're moving advisors and then I'm talking about this stuff to build their business. And they're like, well, well, we want to do what you're doing, but they don't have someone. They don't want to pay, you know, six figures to get a marketing person. Right. And so we actually sort of rolling this out uh, for, for, for advisors that go to firms that don't have an internal system. Right. Um, And it's been taking off, but yeah, social media, your social media online presence is, is really important. And these these advisors that have come from a captive world don't understand how powerful it is. They think it's about, well, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about investments or I can't talk about whatever. And you're not supposed to be, right? It's really about talking to your marketplace, whatever that marketplace is, about who you are and who your team is and what you're about. And so that someone says, wow, I like, I like that. I like that person. I'm going to call them and I'm out there that they, they have the same likes. They talk about core values, whatever it is. That's the whole point of having a great online presence. So, well, and think about it coming out of the market, you know, they're or in the market we're in, like how many, how many clients are out there are interested in a second opinion are interested in maybe looking to someone else. Not everybody's as good as your listeners, right? Not every financial advisor is as good as your listeners, Make yourself easy to find, you know, and in the independent stage, you, you can now even use testimonials and things like that. Think about how you figure out anything in your life. You know, my wife and I will go to, to dinner tonight at a restaurant. I promise you, is she's looked it up. She knows the Yelp range. She's read customer reviews. And that's where we're going to, that's how we're going to figure it out. Our, we're no different, right? If they're looking for someone, make yourself easy to find. So, that would be that would be the uh, the first thing. The second is expand your horizons and advise clients on assets beyond what are just the assets you manage, right? When when you know when you're at Morgan or Merrill or UBS or whatever, you can't do that. You can only advise them on what's sitting there at your custodian. In some cases, in supported independent models, it's the same way because you're single custodian, you're locked into, uh, you know, an IBD or whatever it may be. But at least in our model, and we're multi-custodian, but in our model, you can advise them on all of their assets, right? So let's say you're managing, you know, it's a, someone's got $5 million with you and you're charging whatever, 1% for that, but they have another $5 million that's spread around different banks or whatever, if they rely on you and they think of you as your as their financial quarterback, it would be very easy for you to propose to them that you oversee these other assets. You can keep those at you know UBS and these at Schwab and whatever you want to do, but I'll charge you, I'll make up a number, I'll charge you 1% for what I manage, and I'll charge you 25 basis points 
to bring in these other assets and report on them and make them part of your financial plan and be a second opinion, be a devil's advocate, oversee them, you know, tell you when you should perhaps change managers, even if they're not assets that I manage. And where that becomes even more powerful is when you can include their 401k. And so I am super excited that we're about, we're just incorporating a technology called Pantera, which will not only allow you to advise on a client's 401k and bill for that advice, it will actually allow you to step in and manage the 401k on the client's behalf. You talk about top line growth. You know, if you're sitting at a bank or a brokerage firm right now, you can't even fathom that we're talking about this because if, if your client wants to ask you about, hey, you know, can you look at my 401k and tell me which funds I should be in? You can't do it or you're fired. In our world, not only can you do it, you can bill for the advice, which the client is happy to pay. And if you really, if they really want you to, you can step in and manage the 401k and reallocate things on their behalf. So I would be doing those things, particularly in a market like this, where people are, you know, more attuned to risk and, you know, where am I, how correlated are my investments? So that's, uh, that's what I'm excited about now. So that's what you're excited about. Um, let's take the opposite side of that coin, right? What are you most concerned about? What should advisors be weary of or paying very close attention to uh, in this you know, in this market and where we're at right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, anytime, anytime, just general market advice, right? Anytime is is always to take small bites, right? Not to not to over uh, overbuy or oversell, you know, but I think your listeners are among the best and, and they know that, right? They're not they're not panicking or getting overhyped up in a, in a market. But I just think that um, where, where I see the risk and where I have the concern is I know some really great advisors that are at banks or wirehouses who do the right thing for their client every day and they're morally and ethically at the very top of the list and they're still subject to being terminated tomorrow. And I normally get the call when it's too late because we... We manage, uh, we have to manage our lowest common denominator very, very closely. And so I can't take them on, but they usually have done something that was not wrong, but it broke policy. In fact, it's usually they were trying to do something in the client's interest for the client, but it violated some sort of policy. And I've just seen careers ruined. You know, and, and so if you're going to stay in an employee environment, drink the Kool-Aid, right? Just follow their policies, buy into their strategy, you know, wear their name tag, whatever they want you to do. But if you're going to stay there, be there. Don't stay there, but act like you're independent or your career will be shortened. Yeah, and I think that's really, uh, really good advice. I did a podcast. Uh, actually, one of my original podcasts was called Unintended Consequences. And it, it was literally about this topic. And what advisors, what you don't understand as an advisor is the littlest thing can get you termed and you're, the value of your business drops exponentially when you're trying to make a move and you're termed. 
a firm that you would normally go to and they welcome you in open arms and there'd be a bidding war for you, top dollar, all that good stuff. You're lucky if one, if they, those quality firms like a sanctuary are even going to take you. And two, if they are going to take you, they might not give you any money anymore because you may have been put on the beach for 30 days, right? Or longer, right? Depending on what the situation is. Um, depending on the tactics that the firm, your prior firm, is going to take uh, to give those advisors time to get around your clients, and you hate to say it, and but it, it's the it's the truth. Now, I've had an I had an advisor last year, two years ago, and uh, he was in a situation and called me up and, what do you think? And this is what they're saying, and they're saying it's it's fine, don't worry about it, it's just routine investigation. I'm like, eh. I'm like, as soon as they say investigation, you need to one lawyer up, right? Get an attorney, but you need to be thinking about an exit strategy because once they terminate you, it changes the dynamic because every employer you have to go to when you fill out your their their you know the the questionnaire and the background questionnaire, you have to write, you know, where you terminated. Which as you say yes, it creates all sorts of issues. Yeah, the, the firm that fired you has 30 days to update your U5, and they'll take all 30 days, and no one is going to bring you on until that 30-day period is over. And then after the 30-day period, like someone like us is very unlikely to bring you on. And so I, you, you're exactly right, and, and I don't want to take a full negative uh, tone here, but it, it's true, and I, I remember in my in my previous life as a as a manager in a wirehouse, I had just had a, a really taxing run where I had had to terminate, you know, a sort of a series of advisors. And these were people that I really liked. And I didn't think they were bad people. And and uh but they had violated policy that was beyond my control to to stick my neck out for them. And so I, I did a whole tour. I went to all of my offices and I brought my admin manager and compliance people with me. And I said, listen, we're going to get in front of this. I want to tell everyone, here's how you get fired. Please don't ever put yourself in this situation. And we did. Um, and the biggest thing I told them is that, listen, if they come and ask you about it, you have to be 100% honest. Because if they're asking you the question, they already know the answer. And the biggest mistake people make is they, they get flustered and they panic and they start telling a little lie that turns into a bigger lie. And they end up getting fired for that, really, because then the manager says, I can't really trust this person. And so first, don't violate policy. If you're going to work there and be an employee, then be an employee and follow the rules and do everything exactly the way you're supposed to. But God forbid, if you ever do, you know, venture into the gray and you're approached about it, don't lie. Just be honest. You've you got a better chance of surviving if you're honest. And then I absolutely agree with everything, Frank, that you just said. Lawyer up. The investigations rarely end with you continuing to work there. And so, you know, don't be naive and don't be, you know, flat footed. Be proactive. So now let's shift gears back and let's just say you didn't get terminated, right? Um, so your, your quality, uh, advisor, um, again, sort of as we're getting a tail end of the show here, give, can you give us an idea of the type of practices 
and I'll say practices because what I have found is it's generally more than one person that's joining your firm. But give us an idea of the type of practices that are joining your firm and and why. You know, you don't have to get long drawn up thing, but like why are you seeing certain types of advisor practices joining sanctuary? Yeah, I mean, we've always from the beginning had a minimum standard because we're trying to control, we want to be small. Um, we don't want to ever be so big that we have a lowest common denominator problem that we have to manage to like, like others do. And so we've always said, listen, they have to have tenure in the business, a clean U4, a third party designation, you know, at least 150 million of assets. And we have a pretty good no jerk policy. I'll say jerk, but we use that. Um, so that kind of, that, that's of the starting line, right? The average partner firm we brought on last year did about three and a half million and had about 500 million of assets. I think the smallest one was about a million and uh, the biggest one was uh, just under 11 million. And so that's kind of where we play. I honestly, I'm at the stage of my career and I know probably a lot of your listeners are where, you know, sometimes I'm happier to take a really nice, you know, enjoyable, friendly, gracious, one or $2 million producer than I am, you know, a $15 million team who is going to be unhappy and complain and, and all those things. So, so we, we do, you know, we do kind of, uh, we, we factor that in. Why did they join us? Like I said earlier, they're seeking freedom, flexibility and control, but they don't want to give up. Um, support and infrastructure. You're right about our transition program. It's run uh, by Lily Kaufman. Lily was a, a, a lifer at Merrill, reported to me. And one of the things that Lily did for me at Merrill is when we I recruited someone to Merrill from Morgan or wherever, is she would run those transitions. So she knows how to move a book from Morgan to Merrill or UBS to Merrill or whatever. And then certainly she knows how to move one from Merrill. So she created, and she has a whole group uh, under her now, but she created a curriculum that is designed to be 12 weeks. And you don't have to think. She is going to tell you exactly what to do in every one of those weeks. But then she's also going to tell you what Sanctuary is doing for you, what the custodian's doing for you. You're going to have a weekly call with her. In some cases, there's 30 people on that call, all working on your behalf. And it just gives people, you know, so much comfort that we understand the wirehouses. We know where they've come from. We've moved lots of people from wherever they've come. And we have a process. And so they're comfortable. The last reason that I'll highlight, because I do think it's unique, is we tend to attract advisors with a greater runway, you know, earlier in their career, they've got a long time left. And some of the reason is they're taking advantage of the demographics of our business, right? Like the average age of an advisor in our, our business is getting pretty high. And there's data out there that would suggest that in the, the next coming years, you're going to have one and a half, two trillion dollars of client assets changing advisors, Right. And they're changing advisors due to primarily to retirements. And in the wirehouses, there's CTP and FAP and alpha and all these things that you can do that are, you know, retiring place. But on the independent side, as you know, they just sell the company. 
right? And our, we have a program and a model that is designed for our partner firms to take advantage of it to go buy those businesses. And I could spend another, you know, 10 minutes talking about that, but we can save it for another day. But it provides capital, it provides expertise, you know, the lawyers, the documents, the integration team, the valuation team, all those things. And so that is a motivator for a lot of, particularly our advisors that have 10, 15, 20 years left, and they want to build an enterprise through acquisitions. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, Melissa, I, I, I really appreciate that. That's a great way to finish. And I think you're right. We could do a whole nother uh, podcast just on acquisition strategies, right? Um, maybe we maybe we will. So I'll, I'll, I'll circle back with you on that because that'll be really good. Thank you very much. How, how does someone get in touch with with you or someone from your team, aside of, of course, reaching out to us um, and and uh, wanting to I was gonna say, to what do you mean? They call you, right? Yeah, well, listen, I'm trying to be, you know, trying to be, uh, you know. Uh, Just go. I mean, middle, you go so. to Sanctuary. Uh, I'd encourage people to go to SanctuaryWealth.com. But you, if you go there, you're going to see my picture and my email and my phone number. And, you know, you can you can click on there and it'll you can submit kind of who you are. We also have a calculator on there, which, you know, oh, right. Yeah. Really, I remember we were working on that. Yeah. 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 yeah we haven't really publicized it, um, but thank you for your feedback on it, but it's great. You can, you know, 11 o'clock at night with a glass of wine, you can go in there and say, I'm a $2 million producer. I was thinking about doing this big wirehouse deal because it's so, you know, it's so much money. What do the economists look like if I did went independent with sanctuary instead and it spits it out? So I would encourage people uh, to do that. You'll also find, you know, a lot of materials on who Sanctuary is there. Uh, but yeah, you can you can connect with me and my team that way. Great, got it. Also, don't forget you can uh, email me at frank at leakingsoldingpartners.com, of course, right? And call me 856-316-4651. Uh, don't forget to check out my Instagram page at franklarosa.elite and LinkedIn, obviously. Uh, Vince, you're on LinkedIn. So everybody, you know, hit up, Hit up Vince on on LinkedIn and follow their stuff. They put out some great stuff. You'll see the kinds of teams that join. They're making announcements, so it's been it's been really impressive. So Vince, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Um, I you know appreciate you letting me put this push this back a little bit. Thank you very much, um, and I look forward to doing uh, doing business with you and, and hopefully bringing some of my my uh, my listeners to your firm. Well, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, and let's do it again. Great. Thanks, Vince. Thanks for watching Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to check out some of our other episodes. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our channel, and we will see you back here next week.